Well, let's prepare our hearts for the word of God through our pastor. It's a good morning. Some of you are going to receive some answers today. Answers that will change your life. Receive revelation that will lay forth the course of your life. And if you will take a hold and and grab a hold of the truth that I bring this morning, your very future can be changed by what you learn here this morning, can be shaped. For some of us, it's a truth that we've known for a while and maybe even have been practicing. But even with that, sometimes a refreshing of a truth that is an old truth to us is... Sometimes when we think we know something, because we have head knowledge of it, we trick ourselves into thinking that, well, I'm doing that because I know about it. In James, that's called being self-deceived. Not devil-deceived or not any of those things, just simply self-deceived. That's being a hearer of the Word, but not a doer of the Word. And so, this morning, I encourage all of us, no matter how old you are in the Lord, no matter how old you are in the word of faith and in teachings about faith that you take a hold of the principles this morning as though they were new to you and grasp them and lay hold on them in an unshakable way that you will actually see things change in your future. You know, a question uh, that you asked yesterday of us was how do I prepare my heart? Right? It was a private conversation that we had, and the question was asked, how do I prepare my heart for what I know is coming? And uh, the answer is this morning. All right, You'll, You will uh, be able to go away today saying, I know how to prepare my heart. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 18. In the last several weeks, we have... A number of weeks, we've been teaching a series on being redeemed from the curse of the law and what that means and what all comes with it, what the things are that we've been redeemed from. And we've kind of um, been ending that series with speaking about the power of our words and that our words are either uh, carriers of life or carriers of death. And that by our words, we can create By our words, we can cause things that are not so to be so. And we've just been looking at this, and the reason that this comes on the end of the series on being redeemed from the curse of the law is simply because the way to take hold, the way to lay hold of all the promises that belong to us, the things that we've been redeemed from, and the things that have been given to us, is the number one way is to speak the word over your life. And it begins with our declarations of the promises of God. And One of the most powerful things that you can do for your life or for somebody else is to speak what God said about them to them and over them or over yourself. Is to speak the Word over the situation. And <clears throat> let's, let's start here in Proverbs 18. And we'll just read in verse 21. It says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Just real quickly, we'll go through some review here. Life and death are in the power 
of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And I don't know about you, but I was always raised with the idea as I was growing up that Psalms and Proverbs was more or less just poetry, and it certainly wasn't in the New Testament. And so when we would ask questions as children, yeah, but what about this in the Psalms? What about this in the Proverbs? It was always met with, yeah, well, that was Psalms. Kind of with the understanding that it it doesn't apply today. That was for back then. And, you know, just a very simple one was we weren't allowed to have musical instruments how I grew up. No, no, only a cappella music. And so... I'm not a piano, you know, we were allowed to have harmonicas, and that was grandfathered in through the Amish Clause. If you want to know what the Amish Clause is, uh, you'd have to ask me later. Um, A bunch of our people had come from the Amish, and they were allowed to have harmonicas, and so uh, in the Mennonite church where I grew up, they just, well, they didn't want to give up their harmonicas, let's just be, be straight with it. So the harmonicas were all right, but no other instruments were all right. And so, um... You know, I would ask the question, yeah, but what about in the Psalms? It says, you know, you're supposed to use all these stringed instruments and all these things. And, and they, yeah, that was Psalms. That was David. It was a different time and era, and that doesn't apply to us today. And so that was my understanding of Psalms and Proverbs. And so if you read something there, I read it more like poetry and history rather than promises and truths and principles and how God works, right? Kingdom principles. And so, <laughs> I was so glad when I discovered, oh no, Proverbs and Psalms is very much for you and I today too. And when he says that from the fruit, in verse 20, from the fruit of, of his mouth, a man's stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. This is talking natural things. That even, even here he's saying that with your tongue... You, you'll be satisfied with the things that you bring in by what you say. And if you say, well, why do I say it that way? Well, read the next verse. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice that word love it. Because there's lots of people that say, nah, it doesn't work that way. You know, the word of faith movement had been called, you know, the blab it and grab it. The, the confess it and possess it, the, I don't know, there was all kinds of different ones. You guys could probably throw a bunch of different ones in there that you've heard before. And in, in some way or another, many people have maligned the idea that you could say something and have it. That you could speak with your mouth and cause things to come to pass that otherwise would not have come to pass. And so usually the test, this is what I ran up against when we first came into this. As I presented this to my friends, they said, huh, so if I say I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. I said, no. Well, I thought you just said I can have what I say. I said, you can. I said, but for starters, you don't believe it. I said, you're a parrot, not a believer. See, a parrot can learn to say anything. Polly wants a cracker. Birdie bird, birdie bird. But it doesn't, it just repeats what it hears, right? And many of us, we have head knowledge that we're supposed to use our tongue to create and that the power of life and death is in our tongue, but we're just parrots. 
Pretty bird, pretty bird. But there's really no belief. It's not coming from a heart of belief. And so, my question to you this morning is, are you a parrot or a believer? Both are speaking. If you're not speaking, you can't be a believer. I know, that's really hard. Ouch. But you're going to speak what you believe. If you think bad things are going to happen, guess what? That's what you're going to speak because you believe it. If you think good things are going to happen, isn't that what you're going to speak? Because that's what you believe is going to happen. And so, sometimes you say, well, I'm just saying what is already in the natural. I'm not speak calling forth what's going to happen. I'm just speaking the problem, which is what a parrot does. It just speaks what it hears. Doesn't believe it, but that's what it's going to say. If you put a parrot around someone that cusses a bunch, guess what? You got a cussing bird. Doesn't know what the words mean, but that's still what it's going to say. Someone was just telling me a story recently how uh, this parrot would cry like a baby. I mean, convincingly. Man, it, it sounded, I think I was hearing it. They were, uh, okay, you'd listen to it. Yeah, yeah, we were listening to this video of this parrot that cried just like a baby. I mean, so convincing, I'd have shot that bird. Because, I mean, it was the kind of cry that, you know, just boom, makes your hair stand up and go, something's really wrong with that baby. <laughs> How would you like to hear that all the time? But there was nothing wrong with that parrot. It was just producing a sound that it had heard, that it is now echoing. Right? Well, we're having fun already. Killing parrots and creating things with our tongue. We had this parrot. We tried to train it. We, <laughs> we smuggled it in from Mexico when I was a kid. I don't know. We hid it in the van and drove across the border. It's different times, I guess. And um, we brought two of them. And my grandparents took one and we took the other. And they sold these birds to us, told us that they would uh, whistle, I believe. And that they'd be able to, they were whistling parrots, but you had to teach them. Man, we whistled and talked to that bird until we were blue in the face. We played whistling tapes. We did all kinds of things. That bird never did do anything but scream like a banshee. All it knew how to do was just give this crazy parrot scream. And uh, eventually one of my uncles was clowning around. We had him outside and we hadn't clipped his wings in a while. And my uncle goes running past the cage and it startled the bird and he flew away. Disappeared into the woods, you know, never to be seen again. <laughs> Why did I tell you that story? I don't know. <laughs> let's go over to uh, Mark. Actually, let's quickly go to, we're still in review, Romans 8. You say, well, can we really create with our mouth? Well, that's how the Lord created, right? He called things that be when he said light be. Light was not on the earth. There was no light. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And yet, the Father showed up and He said, Light be. And when He said that, light came into existence and was. And that was before He had created the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that. But He had created light. 
And here's the interesting thing that we do not have record of the Father standing there in the darkness looking in the direction of where the earth was because he couldn't see it. See, it was all dark. And uh, looking over there and saying, man, it's dark. Man, it's just so dark. What we really need out here is some light. I mean, if we had some light, we could actually create some things and do some things around here, but it's just so dark. How are we ever going to fix anything around here, Gabriel, with all this dark? We need to get someone with some light in here. Speaking the problem, right? The father didn't show up and speak problem about what he was facing. He showed up and did something very different. He said something that didn't exist. And he said, light be, and there was light. And he went right down the list and created everything that way. And we read that story and we go, that's, that's amazing. That's, he's God. And we somehow think that the same does not apply for us. We have to start at the beginning. Where is it, is it possible to do anything supernaturally without faith? I'm saying in the kingdom of God. Is it possible? Is it possible to be born again without faith? No. Is it possible to experience a miracle without faith? Either yours or theirs. No. All these things come by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So at the beginning, let's start at the beginning. It all starts with faith. All right? And in believing. And because I believe, therefore I speak. I've been saying this the last several weeks. The natural thing for a believer to do is speak. If you believe, you will speak. As you believe, you will speak. So here we see in Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry. Chap- yes, Romans chapter 10. If you'll look down in... Let's just start in verse 4. He'd been talking about the Jews and how he says in verse 4, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes is the qualifier where the, the, the end of the law came. To everyone who believes. Remember, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Everyone who believes. So that's the qualifier. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, you're not looking for Christ. He's already here. We don't have to go to heaven to try to find Him. We don't have to go to hell to try to deliver Him. He's already here. It says in verse 8, On the contrary, what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. So if it's in your mouth, it's going to also be in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh is what Jesus said. And he wasn't in the habit of lying. So I said the whole thing comes back to faith. So here's where the important part of this, the difference between parrot and believer. 
is simply getting the Word into you. If you'll skip down to verse 17, it says faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the Word about Christ. So the only place that faith comes from is from the Word or from Jesus. Faith comes once you understand what God's will is and now and then and only then can you operate from a position of faith because you know what God's will is. It is impossible to be in faith for something that you don't know if God wants it or not. The only thing you can really be in faith for at that point is to know what God's will is. Reveal to me, Lord, what your will is. Because in James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and He'll give it liberally and without criticizing. Again, faith comes from hearing the word. You just heard the promise that gives you the right to go to the throne of grace and ask for help in the time of need. So, faith. Knowing what God's will is. And in knowing what God's will is, faith arises. And as you hear the word, that's why it's important for you to speak the word, because you are hearing it. You're the best preacher that you will ever hear. You're the best preacher that you will ever hear. And so, you preach to yourself. Don't wait for other people to preach to you. You preach to you. You tell yourself how it's going to be. You know, remember the story of David, how at Ziglag, he had his whole, his whole village got wiped out. And his families and all the soldiers, they came back. I mean, all their stuff was gone. Their families and children kidnapped, gone. And um, man, they, these guys, they were bitter about it. And they were getting ready to stone him. I mean, have you ever read about David's mighty men? He was up against a pretty fearsome crowd that was ready to stone him. And he said he went off by himself and he stirred himself up. How do you stir yourself up? It doesn't say the Lord stirred him up. It says he stirred himself up. Do you stir yourself up by doing push-ups? Maybe some burpees and, and some squats. Do you th- excuse me, do you think it's talking about heart rate? No. How do you stir yourself up? You talk to yourself. You talk to yourself. You know, my wife and I, we like to uh, go to the gym frequently. And, and so one of the things that I like about, about Jen, that she does really well, and other people will often comment on it, we'll be working out with a whole group of other people, you know, a team workout type thing. And man, we'll be really hard, and Jen will be over there talking to herself. Come on, you can do this. Come on, Jen. Two more. Come on, she's talking to herself. And guess what, man? She's doing it. And other people will comment and say, man, I really like that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, it works, right? It works. And so David stirs himself up. And he, what's he doing? Well, I'm sure he's reciting the promises of God. Because it looks like it's the end of the road for him. He has never been lower. He's lost everything. And not only... This band of misfits and, and these guys that are out there with him that had nothing, they were robbers, they were, they were outlaws, they were people that had run away from debt bondage and all these things, had come to David and David had raised them up into this band of like mighty fearsome men. And now they've turned on him. 
So you're talking about feeling pretty low when your own people have now turned on you and are ready to put you to death. And he had every reason to be discouraged and go, I'm just going to disappear into the woods like I did before when Saul chased me. But he didn't. He goes, there was promises that David had been given about what was going to take place in David's life. And it never looked further from the truth than in that moment. But yet he stirred himself up. And, and I submit to you that he spoke those promises to himself. That he went over the promises of the Lord that he had a hold of. And that he said things to himself. And that things that he believed because he believed the promises of God. And in that way, he comes back full of grace and full of anointing and is able to persuade this whole group of men that is wanting to take his life. No, don't take my life. I'm the wrong guy. Let's go get them. And they're like, oh, novel idea. Yeah, them. And so we know the story how they went and captured everyone. Not one life was lost and got all their stuff back. And David ended up being king later. So in, in Romans 10, we're talking about the power of your words. That you're the best preacher that you're going to ever hear. Did you know that your eternal destiny, whether or not you go to heaven or hell, whether or not you are a saint or an ain't, okay, all comes down to you speaking with your mouth. Here in verse 10, Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, it does not say if you think with your head. If you confess with your mouth, it does not say if you wish it were so. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. Otherwise, you could get the parrot saved. You could teach that parrot to say Jesus is Lord, and the parrot would be saved. But no, it says believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. However, with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. You want to talk about the power of life and death in your tongue. There you have it. All the way, even to everything that is with salvation. Deliverance and freedom and healing and all the things Wealth. You know, you read, you read in 2 Corinthians where we were reading today, read the book before and the book that we were reading in, in 8 and 9, and you'll see that even wealth is part of that. An amazing thing. In verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the power of, of your mouth. Your words result in salvation. Your words are the difference between God living in you and not living in you. Your words. Someone say, my words. words. Your words are the keys to the kingdom. In 1 John 4.15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice the word confesses. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Let's go over to Mark 11. And this is the story. You know, Jesus operated by this principle. And he used his words and he spoke to fevers, he spoke to trees, he spoke to disease, he spoke to evil spirits, and he used his mouth. He was very deliberate in the things that he said because he said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. So he had to 
absolutely have a tight rein on his tongue. Because I guarantee you there was plenty of times where if he was going to operate by the flesh, he could have said plenty. I mean, the more injustice you are, the more you want to say, right? (laughs) But he didn't. He said he actually didn't open his mouth about that at his crucifixion. Here, he had cursed the fig tree. They had gone by there. He went down to the fig tree to see if there was any figs on it. He didn't know if there was or not. Turns out there wasn't. So he cursed the tree, said no one's going to eat any figs from you anymore. So the next morning in verse 20, they go walking by. The fig trees withered from the roots up. And then verse 21, then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Better translations will actually say have faith of God or have the faith of God. The God kind of faith is what this is literal translation is. He says, I assure you, Jesus is speaking. I assure you, if anyone says, he didn't say if anyone thinks, if anyone writes a letter, He said, if anyone says, if anyone sends a text message, nope. If anyone speaks, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, he will have whatever he says. So here we we see that he says, the word says three times and the word believes one time. He goes on in verse 24, because this is important that you understand the power of your words. Life and death is in the tongue. Therefore, I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them and you will have them. So you need to look at it as past tense. Believe that you have already received it. There was another time Jesus spoke about a mountain. Let's go over to Matthew. 17, and this was an interesting case here because they had just come down from the mountain of transfiguration and, and there was that man that had the son that the disciples couldn't cast the demon out of. And so Jesus shows up and delivers him. And so in verse 19, they came to Jesus privately, the disciples, and said, well, how come we couldn't do something about it? And he gives them this truth. He says, because of your unbelief or disbelief. See, they were saying the words, it just wasn't happening because they had unbelief. Now, here is where some of you need to listen closely. Jesus showed up and still delivered the little child. He didn't let the unbelief stop him. And so some of us sometimes will sit here and beat ourselves up because, oh, well, I just don't have enough faith or I'm in unbelief. And and we, we allow that to stand between us and the Lord and go, oh, we disqualify ourselves. But there was time and time again that Jesus saved people that were in unbelief. The Father even. He asked the Father. He said, you know, the Father came to him and said, can you do something? If you can do something about this, can you know, would you heal him? And Jesus said, if I can, to him who believes... Anything is possible. And the father goes, uh, help my unbelief. Recognizing the unbelief that he had. And he's wanting deliverance for his child. And the Lord healed him. Peter started sinking down in the water when he was walking on the water. 
And then because of his doubt and unbelief, he began to sink. And Jesus didn't let him drown. Come on, I mean, so often in this word of faith, we have allowed ourselves to think that unbelief and doubt is going to stop us from receiving. Which is just more unbelief and doubt. I know, some of you may need an extra cup of coffee to digest that one. Okay, but let's see here what Jesus said. He went on and He said, For I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, so not very much, you will tell this mountain. And then if you understand where they're, they just come down from a mountain. And if you understand where they're at, I believe that if we'd have been there with Him, we would have seen Jesus turn at this point and point at the mountain and say these next words. He says, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Did you know that in, in Zechariah 14 verses 3 and 4, this mountain that he was standing next to and speaking to says that mountain is going to be divided and move one part of it over here and another part of it over here and a great valley is going to form and the people of Israel will escape through that valley. And that's going to take place in Revelations where we read. But what I find fascinating is that Jesus was standing there putting His words to work for a situation that's going to come thousands of years from now. Just because your words don't come to pass in the next week or two or month or year, don't back off of it, but be like Jesus. Say, I'm going to plant these words for thousands of years from now. This mountain will split and move from here to there. You know, idle confession would be what a parrot does. Just speaks empty, useless words. It's not from a heart of belief, but just saying things that it has heard. But we can do that with Scripture, right? I know that I'm supposed to say, by His stripes I am healed. I know that I'm supposed to say He delivers me from all my enemies. I know that I'm supposed to say that I'm blessed and highly favored. And, and I know that I'm supposed to say that I'm more than a conqueror. And I know that I'm supposed to say I have the mind of Christ. I know that I'm supposed to say that He delivers me from all my enemies and delivers me from hell and heals every disease. I know I'm supposed to say that, so therefore I say it, but I never really truly believe it. A lot of people that come into uh, the Word of Faith movement are into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we teach them about what tongues is and speaking in tongues. And one of the things that I'll hear again and again, well, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to just make up noises and pretend I'm speaking in tongues and, and I'm just making things up. And I don't want to be a fraud. Which is a great desire Right? Nobody wants to be a fraud, or at least I hope none of you do. We don't want to be, we want to be authentic and real with the Lord, and we don't want to pretend. And this is where we say, well, it's by faith, right? When it comes to speaking in tongues, that whatsoever you do in faith is what is pleasing to the Lord. So even if you were to totally make things up and just gibber like a little baby, if you did it and believed that I, my spirit is praying to the Lord, I believe the Lord would understand that if you did it in faith. And once you get rid of that fear and help them to understand that they're not going to understand the tongues because 
Corinthians, it says no man understands it. That it's to the Lord and it's mysteries in the Spirit. And once you teach them, then they understand, oh, it is going to sound like foolishness to my ear because that's what Scripture says. It sounds like foolishness. And that my understanding is unfruitful. And so, once you present that with them and they, oh, okay, so I'm not being a fraud. And um, then they're willing to step into it. Well, they're, let's say it a different way, they're finally willing to release their faith that it actually is genuine. They finally believe it here. And so for you and I, we can say things going back to the statement of, uh, so can I just say I'm a millionaire? Well, no, because you don't believe it. However, if you had a reason to declare that, or if the Lord said you need to say this about you, then believe it and say it, and it won't be terribly long, and you will be. You know, I'll give you an example with Abraham. His name was Abram, and he's an old man. He can't have any children. He is, um, Sarah is past the age of bearing children. She's old. And the Lord says you're going to have so many descendants, you're not going to be able to count them. And um, in fact, I'm going to change your name. You're now called father of many nations. That's what the word Abraham means. Father of many nations. And what is the principle God is putting into motion? Everyone that now sees Abraham, every time he introduces himself, he's going over and saying, Hi, I'm father of many nations. Oh, really? Where are they? I'm father of many nations. And so, you begin to say it. You begin to declare it before you ever see it in the natural realm. If you wait until you see it in the natural realm, all you're doing is just simply, you know the statement, seeing is believing? That's not true at all. Because if that was the case, all 11 of the disciples would have climbed out of the boat and walked with Peter too. Because they saw him walk on the water. Not only that, when they saw Jesus walk on the water, Peter wouldn't have said, well, if it's you, tell me to come. He would have just got out and walked because seeing is believing. It's on the Word that he walked because Jesus said come. It's at the Word that faith comes. And now you can begin to take action on it and declare it. For three Sundays, I have been trying to get to this next part, and um, we're just not ready for it yet. So I'm going to keep uh, pressing on this, and Lord willing, next time I speak, we'll go into the three types of confession, idol confession, and death confession, and life confession. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. You can create your future with your tongue. When Jen and I set out to move to Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 2000, August of 2011. Now we'd been making preparations for a few months prior to this. We were pastoring a church out in Colorado, our sister church there. And 
the, the year before, the Lord had spoken to me and said that I'm going to move you to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You're going to work with and under Pastor Dale Armstrong, who was pastoring this church at that time. And um, so I asked the Lord when, and He gave me some things to do. And He said, if you're faithful and obedient to do these things, it'll begin to happen in six months. And um, I did what the Lord told me to do. And in exactly six months' time, then um, Pastor Dale called me and said, hey, you know, are you supposed to be here? The Lord told me you're supposed to be here. And so that started the process, and then about six months later is when the move took place. Now, understand that one of the last places in the United States of America that Jen and I wanted to live was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I, I had family that used to live here. They don't live here anymore. And so as a child, I would come visit them, and I'm coming straight from the, we called ourselves hillbillies in Missouri, I'm coming from the boondocks, right, down there and, uh, in, in the woods. And we'd come to Pennsylvania, and I'm like, this place is crazy. You can't tell when one town stops and another one starts. They would be driving down the road. We must have been on 23, I don't know. And they'd be like, we're in Eden. And then we're in town driving along. Then they'd say, we're in Leola. I'm like, what do you mean? We never left one town yet. They said, no, we just... And then we were in Bearville. And then New Holland. And we never left town the whole time. I'm like, what are you, what's going on here? And then someone told me they lived in the country, so we drove out to their place. And there was, you know, just houses on both sides of them. And I'm like, this ain't country. And this is city, you know. And um, plus, being raised Mennonite, I, you know, Lancaster was the Mennonite Mecca Center. And um, I didn't want to come there. You know, I figured that any good Mennonite would, uh, you know, manure doesn't do any pile, good on a pile. You got to spread it out for it to do some value, right? So that's how it is for believers too. Many times believers don't do any good on a pile. You got to spread them out and get them out into the culture and into the people and mix them so that they can bring difference in, in life. I know that's a horrible il- illustration, but <laughs> I heard that from a, from a visiting evangelist as a child a Mennonite pastor, and he, was, he said that actually about Lancaster County. I was probably 10 years old, and I've never forgotten it. He was from Lancaster, and so he could speak with authority, you know. Anyway, so I say all of this to say we were no longer Mennonite, but I just did not want to move to such a crowded place that distance is measured in minutes rather than miles. We lived in Colorado, and if it was 10 miles somewhere, we could make it in 9 minutes or, or less. You know, it's straight shot, no traffic, away we go. And so we, I, I said this growing up my whole life, I said, you gotta, you got to be crazy to live in Lancaster. you got to have rocks in your head to live in Lancaster. I say all of this because I want you to understand how strongly our words were already arranged for us to despise this place. Okay? And... Um, once the Lord said we're going to move, I submitted right away and said, all right, Lord. And um, I began to put my words to use. I knew that I had to begin speaking things. And so I began to say, we're going to love it there. We're going to, we're going to really like it in Lancaster County. I felt like such a liar. <laughs> and so I'd be like, you know, we're going to go there and things are going to go well for us. And, and the Lord's going to bless us because we're obeying the Lord. And you know what? We're going to like Lancaster County. And Jen says she was slower. She was. She wasn't on, on there yet. But I began to use my words. 
that I like it and Jen likes it and, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and we have many friends in Lancaster County. What was it? We didn't. We didn't. We had some acquaintances. But we didn't have any close friends. And so am I lying by saying we have many friends in Lancaster County? Look at what my words created. Look at all of you. And so, through the passage of time we move, we come here, and um, I'm working through it. I'm just using my words. And You know how many times when you move somewhere in the first six months, someone will come up to you and say, how do you like it here? So much that you want to smack them. Quit asking me that question. And so I would open my mouth and say, I love it. I love it. It's amazing here. And you know, the devil tell me, you're a liar. I'd be like, no, I'm not. This is my truth. I can have what I say is what the Word says. The Word says the power of life and death is in the tongue. The Word says that I can speak to the mountain and it'll be removed. And so I'm just using my words and I'm saying I love it. Well, after several months of Jen feeling pretty miserable, right, it was about that long, we had a conversation and she's like, finally she reached the end of, of feeling sorry for herself, right? And she's like, I want out. How do I get out of this? And we drove a stake in the ground and I said to her, I said, listen, here's how. You do not permit yourself to say one single solitary negative thing about this place or about moving here or about living here. You only speak the positive. You only speak what you want to be. You only speak the good. Okay. Yeah. Be sure to turn it on. It's probably off. Um, I was watchful that I wasn't being too negative, but I remember that I was not speaking positive. I was, I was not saying, mm-hmm. oh, I hate it here and stuff necessarily, but... I was not trying to create, I love it, and I have friends, and it's easy. That changed. Yes, and that's an important point. Because see, there is where the head knowledge says, don't speak the negative. Don't speak that it's so horrible here. So she wasn't doing that, but she wasn't taking a hold of the reins in the direction she wanted to go. And was just mired and stuck there. Wasn't creating anything. Because it's not true that I like it here, so why would I say that I like it here when I don't like it here? So I'm just not going to say anything. Well, you're better not saying anything than saying the bad thing, but don't be stuck in anything. I talked about this last Sunday a little bit, that there are those of us that we need to speak up. Those of us that we just fall into the trap of, well, I'm not going to, I just be quiet. No, we must speak. Look, one of the greatest things that you can do for your marriage, and it does not have to be in the presence of your spouse, say, you know what? I have the best marriage. My wife loves me and understands me. And I am fulfilled by her and she's fulfilled by me as far as in a marriage can be. And that we get along and, and she's delighted in me. Now we may just have had a fight. But if you walk away going, she's such an idiot. Guess what you're creating? 
You must speak life if you want life. And don't go undoing it by now speaking death and unbelief over it. Oh, my wife is amazing. She's, she's the best chef in the world. Boy, but that food sure stank. No way. Use your tongue for good. That it would minister grace to the hearer. If you think you can't do something, say you can. Boy, I'm quick. I'm sharp. I'm good looking. Some of you need that. <laughs> See, I'm good looking. Yeah, some of you needed to smile. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me only works for those who say it and believe it. Father, we just present ourselves to You, Lord. and I ask You last week, Father, to arrest us as we go through the week, as we, as we say things that are confessions and declarations of death, that You would arrest us and prompt us to change it. And Father, I know You did to me, and I know that I heard others doing it as well, that You were faithful to do that. So Father, I ask You to continue that in us, bringing us and giving us an understanding of, of our words and showing us how they've been effective in, in days past up until now. And Father, I ask You that you know, when we say something that is bringing death or harm to us or others, that You would arrest us by Your Spirit, that You would... Give us that knowing that, oh, that's not the right thing to say. And then, Father, I'm asking You for the boldness in each of us to stand up and say the right thing. To change it right there and just say the right thing. Thank You, Lord, that You've given us this ability to speak and that we can have what we say. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, uh, I'll close, I'll dismiss you with this. We're going to cover this later in a, in a sermon. But you know, Jesus lived by this principle. He absolutely lived it. And an example in the darkest hour of His life, or approaching the darkest hour, as He was getting ready to go to the cross, and in John chapter 17, you'll find the prayer that he prayed for himself, the prayer that he prayed for his disciples, and the prayer that he prayed for believers to come. And he starts the prayer off, he says, Father, now remember, he has not gone to the cross yet. He's not been crucified yet. He's not paid the price for sin yet. He's only lived righteously. And, and performed and done miracles and done the Father's will to this point. And he says, Father, he starts his prayer off, he says, Father, I have, I have completed what you've given me to do. No, he hadn't. He hadn't gone to the cross, and that's what he had been given to do. He hadn't borne all the sins of the world yet. But he was using his words as words of faith. He said, I have finished what you have given me to do. That was the language. I have finished but yet when you see Him hanging on the cross is when He finally says, it is finished. 
And he was using his words to create. Because he knew hard times were ahead in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He really struggled there. And the crucifixion was coming. And so he's using his words and he's even talking to the Father doing it. He said, Father, I've finished what you've given me to do. And they're words of faith. They're not lies. They're words of faith and belief. So be, be speakers of faith. In faith and life. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Word International this beautiful Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I'd like to encourage you with the Word of God this morning in our time of worship together. From Isaiah 60, it says, Arise and shine. Glory to God. For the light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, behold the glory of the Lord. Behold, the darkness shall come and cover the earth and gross darkness the people but the Lord hallelujah but the Lord don't you love those buts in the Bible but the Lord shall arise upon thee say the Lord shall rise upon me yes the Lord shall arise upon me and his glory shall be seen upon thee and the Gentiles shall come to thy light. See, you are the light of the world. You're the light in the darkness. And this light is shining bright. They'll come to this light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thy eyes around and about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy son shall come from afar and thy daughter shall be nursed by thy side. Then they'll see and flow together, and thy heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. As for me, this is my covenant. With them saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of your mouth. They shall not depart out of your mouth nor the mouth of the, your seed or the seed seed saith the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. What a wonderful promise from the Lord. His word will not depart from your mouth or your children's or your grandchildren's. Isn't that a great promise? So let's rise up and let the glory of God come in. The King of glory is longing to worship through you this morning. Amen. We got to add one to that. We got to speak it, speak it, speak it. Right? Believe it, speak it, do it, live it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hold on to your profession of faith. Don't let go. When the, when the things come, don't let go. Don't let go. Amen? Amen. Hey, I like Corinne's playing. <laughs> it's her first time on. Hallelujah. So I encourage her. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. 
You know, I've seen God move mountains in my life. Something that I, I had no idea how I was going to get around or get over, and he just moved him out of the way. So we just need to remember he'll do it again. He'll do it this year, whatever we're coming up against, he'll do it. He'll take care of it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Let's have a, like a heartier agreement. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Father, we just bless you this morning. We worship you. We exalt your name. And we recognize you as almighty. That you keep your word. That you watch over it to perform it. And Father, we, we take a hold of your word this morning. Of your promise. With great expectation, Lord. Knowing that you're ever faithful. And you are worthy of our, our admiration, of our worship, of our adoration. And we do, we adore you, Father. You're so good to us. Father, I ask that you minister to each person that's here today, each person that's listening by the internet. Lord, that you touch them and encounter them with an understanding and a realization of who you've called them to be. Of what, what you have to offer, Father. Those of us that have committed to serving you, Father, I just ask that you would give clarity clarity to each person as to how you would have them to walk, the place to be, the place to go, the thing to say, the thing to do. And Father, I ask that you would stir up inside each one of us an awareness of destiny, an awareness of calling, an awareness of purpose that goes much further than the simple pleasures on this earth.
impress upon each person that you the great I am live within them that you the great I am is here ever present the miracle worker the promise keeper the way maker where there is no way father you're so good to us So each person here that is needing a miracle, I just invite you to stretch out your hands to the Lord. and Father, I just ask you to give right now to them what they're needing in their life. The miracle that they need, the, the deliverance, the divine healing, the understanding, the restoration. And I thank you for this, Father. I call it finished. I thank you, Lord, that you've made a way where there wasn't one. I thank you, Father, for the miracle of life and health in each one's body. I thank you, Lord, that you're the deliverer, the Savior, and that you've saved us. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus? Well, you may be seated. Every Sunday morning is a special Sunday morning and is precious in its own way. And those mornings that we get to pray over some little ones are always a little more special in my mind because we're raising a future generation in this house that is world-changing and, and nation-shaping people. People that are going to come out of this house in the years to come that are going to, with their words and with their faith, make a difference on this planet. With 12 men, Jesus changed everything. <laughs> and we have more than 12 here. So we're more than able to change the whole planet. So I'm going to invite um, the Armstrong family to come up first. And little Daxton Wade has joined us on planet earth not long ago <laughs> and the Lord you know this is not in reference to uh, Daxton at all okay this is in reference to any of you parents that have had a child that was by surprise okay so any child that's by surprise is not a surprise to the Lord even though it may be a surprise to you and um you know, one plus one makes two, and so you do the math. It's a simple thing of how they arrive. Many people try to put divine purpose to it and say, oh, the Lord was in control. Oh, foolishness. He wasn't either. You were. But here's the key. It didn't catch him by surprise. He saw that day coming long ago. And he had a spirit prepared and planned for that little one that was going to be born. 
And so whether, whether you planned a little one or didn't plan a little one, it doesn't matter as far as, as who they are to the Lord and valuable to the Lord and, and the spirit that the Lord prepared for them before they were ever born. And so 2,000 years ago, this day in history was already marked and prepared. Did you know the Lord said that in Revelations it says that everyone's name is written in the book of life from the foundation of the world? So back how many thousands of years ago when the world was formed, already in the book of life, Daxton Wade's name was written there. And if you continue to read through Scriptures, you see that the day comes where their name could be removed from the book of life. We all start there, but when the day of accountability comes is the day that when we choose to remain with the Lord as a child as they reach accountability, then they just stay right there in the book, Lamb's book of life. However, if they reject that and continue to do so long enough, then eventually their name will be removed from the Lamb's book of life. And um, so we pray in this house that all of our children, that when they reach that age of, of awareness that I need Jesus as my Savior, that they're going to pray and they're going to uh, make that declaration and submit their life to the Lordship of Jesus. And I believe that these things kind of come in, uh, in, they don't all come at once. You know, you can take a six-year-old child and they say, well, I want to be born again. And you can pray uh, with them and they commit their life to the Lord and they're born again. And then again, when they're maybe 10 or 12, they go, you know, I, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want, as more understanding comes to them, now they have more turf and more area to put underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you understanding what I'm saying? More territory, more responsibility. And so as responsibility comes to a young one, you'll see them do that multiple times through their life, is again, declare Jesus as the Lord of their life, as more understanding comes. I mean, you and I as adults, we don't have all understanding, do we? And there's times that we make that declaration again, and there's times that we discover new responsibility in our life, and we, we just submit it to the Lord Jesus again. And so it's a lifetime way of being. But we start young here. As believing families, we say our young ones belong to the Lord. Their spirits are alive to the Lord. And so it's just a, spres uh, yeah, a, a, special, a special privilege. Yeah. Would you like to say something before we go into this next part? Okay. I'm going to ask a series of questions. I think most of you are familiar how we do this. And so to you as parents, I'll ask the question and you can answer, we do. And then I'll ask the congregation a few questions and you can answer, we do. Do you desire that your child will grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And do you promise to provide for Daxton a Christian home where God is honored and His Word is taught? And for those that are, are listening, we're, we're speaking to Zach and Jill Armstrong. Do you pledge yourselves to live in such a way that your words and actions will commend Jesus and His church to Daxton? Mm -hmm. yes, we do. do you promise that you will be a spiritual guide for Daxton, praying 
and watching for the day when He will be ready to receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Do you, the people of this of God in this church, covenant with these parents, Zach and Jill, to provide a loving church home for Daxton? Do you promise to continue teaching the Bible in this church so that Daxton will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word? We do. Are there Kleenexes somewhere around here? I'm going to need some, so if someone could round some up, thank you. I am the heel of the Lord. Amen. You are. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Zach, I'm going to have to ask you to just lay your hands on your little one. And uh, that way I'm not touching him. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for Daxton. Thank you, Lord, that you've given him to this precious family. And that you've seen this day long ago already and had, had a plan for Daxton. And that you've prepared it. So, Father, I just ask all that you've planned for Daxton. We call it into existence. That it'll be fulfilled. That he'll fulfill his purpose and destiny. And that he won't miss any of it, but will glorify you. Father, I thank you that you've provided angels of protection for him. And we call him protected and secure according to Psalms 91. That every plan that the enemy would have against Daxton, we cancel it in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I, I ask for long life, productive life, successful life for Daxton. And Lord, I just lift up Jill and, and Zach to you that you would give them wisdom and understanding how to raise Daxton in a way that will constantly Keep him in your presence, Father. That he would be molded by you. That you would work through them and leading them. Give them wisdom as they walk together in unity. And, and lead their children into godliness. Every day, in all ways. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Two days ago, I couldn't speak. And thank the Lord. He has given me the voice that... All right, we have the Ginder family. So if you guys would come. Austin and Kathy have been an encouragement to, uh, to me and I suppose to many of you as well in how that they opened up their home and just acted like Christ. Came across someone that needed a home, needed to be loved, and uh, opened up their family. And so, this requires many things of, of a mother and a father, but also other siblings in the family, right? And so, we just, um, I invite you to make it a habit to pray for them. That the Lord would give them the grace that they need to uh, walk these things out and, uh, and pray for each other too. There's a lot of parents in here that need God's wisdom, Amen. Hello, everybody. Um, Ezekiel and Mila, can you wave to everyone so they know who you are? Ezekiel's 11 and Mila is 8, and they joined our family in August of 2014 through foster care. 
and we adopted them in May of 2017. We have a lot of dates. <laughs> and then Anthony, can you wave to everybody, Anthony? Hello, everyone. Is five. He joined us in September of 2015 through foster care, and we adopted him in May 2018. So we've been a family for a long time, but we had the opportunity to commit ourselves to them in a legal setting in the courtroom, but we've never done this in a church setting. So we're going to take that opportunity today. And before Pastor Sid dedicates them, um, we have a few commitments we want to read to them as their parent. Uh, so similar to maybe wedding vows, we'll call these adoption vows. Ezekiel, uh, Mila, and Anthony, you have been a special part of our family for years, and today we want to take the time to rededicate ourselves to you and you to God. Each one of you is special and unique. You will always be loved by God, by us, and by your brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and we choose to follow him, we are adopted into God's family. In this way, all of the people in our family are adopted. We are all part of God's family. Today we're going to talk about some of our special promises to you. Because you are adopted into the Ginder family, we dedicated Isaiah, Anna, and Lucas to God when they were little. Since you were not with us when you were a baby, we're going to de dedicate you today. All of the commitments we make to you, we make to everyone in our family, including Isaiah, Anna, and Lucas. We are all one family. Ezekiel, Mila, and Anthony, we take you to be our children. We promise to love and protect you, even from yourself at times. We promise to always provide a safe and secure place for you to live, full of fun, friends, food, and the love of Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we promise to raise you in an environment that trains you to be an overcomer, not a victim. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we promise to raise you up to be people of truth, who speak truth, know truth, and discern deception, even self-deception. Self-deception, guys, Mila, is when you lie to yourself. You might know that you lied to yourself, or you might not know it. We're going to help you understand that, because God is going to help us understand it. We promise to provide you with everything you need, but not always with everything you want. <laughs> we promise to spend time with you and nurture you. We commit to making family time a priority in our lives. And we promise to listen to you. We promise to hug you. We promise to care for you in sickness and in health, in the good times, in the hard times. We will honor you and love you all the days of our lives. We promise that we will love you no matter where you are. You are special. Okay. Wow. It's Ezekiel, Mila, and Anthony, it's a special day that we get to celebrate with all of you together. All right? So we're going to pray, and we're going to pray that God would touch you all in a special way. And um, that he would continue doing in you what he's already started. Okay? All right, stretch out your hands to them and to the Lord and let's pray. Father, I thank you so much 
for the love that you've given to each one of us here, to each one of the Ginders. Especially thank you for how you've had your hand on Ezekiel, on Mila, and on Anthony. And Father, I just ask that you would touch them in a special way. Even today and as they go forward from here, Lord, that you would just continually encounter them with an awareness of your love for them, an awareness of how special they are to you, Lord. And Father, I thank you too that you've provided angels of protection to them, that they're protected all the days of their life, and that if they should step into any dangerous situation, that you would rescue them out and make that way out. And I thank you for it, Father. I thank you too, Lord, that you would just give them understanding and wisdom for the calling that you've placed in them and on them, that you would that you would give each one of them an understanding of how to walk in your plan and in your purpose all the days of their life. And that even at a young age like this, Lord, that you would reveal to them, help them to understand your plan, your purpose, how this all works together. Father, I ask that you just, the gifts and plans and callings that you've had in your heart from long, long ago, that they be birthed and and come to the forefront, that they would be clearly identifiable both by themselves and by their parents. In Jesus' name, Lord, give Austin and Kathy wisdom and understanding Lord, that your grace upon grace is on them to raise up this family as an army for you. Not as just several, Lord, but as an army for you. And I thank you for the strength that you've given to them, for the rest that you multiply to them. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, and Jen has something here for you. Well, I invite you to uh, stand and move around a little bit. Say hello to someone. Go hug these uh, families that have just had their children dedicated to the Lord. We're going to send the children to Children's Church and the different ministry workers to their various stations. Well, good morning, everyone. Isn't Jesus wonderful this morning? Hallelujah. Good to see family so loving on each other and wanting to talk, huh? Well, we're going to prepare to return our tithes to the Lord this morning. Those of you that are ready and excited to give, please find your seat. 
That's a good thing. You know, it really is to have church family that just wants to talk to each other. You know, there's plenty of churches that just don't have much to say. You know, just sort of bumps on a log, but not us. We're family in here and we love each other. That's a good thing. I'd much rather have it this way. You know, the way of the world is taking. It's selfishness. That's not God's way, is it? What's God's way? Giving. And you know, if you've been with our home groups at all, uh, this will be familiar to you, that the main principle, the main law, or the thing that operates the kingdom of God is seed sown. Sowing and reaping. Everything operates by a seed sown, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And the condition of the ground. I mean, how many of you are familiar with the parable of the sower? What made the difference between that seed bringing a fruitful harvest or not? Well, it was the ground, the condition of the ground. So what's the ground? A lot of, that's right. A lot of times I've heard, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about sowing into good ground and, and they're, they're referencing the ministry or the place receiving your seed. But actually the ground is our heart. The condition of my heart, the condition of your heart determines whether your seed is falling on good ground or not. Not whoever's on the receiving end of it. So we might be disappointed if it didn't go to its intended use, you know, if someone misused our seed. But that's not making the difference in our harvest. If it was given in a heart full of love, full of faith, it was given to the Lord, we're going to reap a good harvest. So I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, very familiar verse, and verse 10. And it says here, He, God, who supplies seed to the sower. God supplies seed to who? To the, to the sower. Not the hoarder. Not the one that's going to be selfish with it. Well, what is seed? When you think about seed, you think about something in your hand, but it's, you know, can be a physical thing in your hand, but it's your resources. Okay? Time is a resource. Words, actions, Get, you know, physical things. These are all seeds. All seeds. You know, you can sow a seed of time. You can sow a seed of compassion. You can sow respect and encouragement. You can sow money. I mean, we know these things. But it's whatever is in your hand, in, in, at your disposal. So he supplies seed to the sower. God's going to get to the person who has a sowing heart. He's going to make sure they have something to sow. Well, do you suppose God's going to multiply the time of someone who's not a sower? Someone who uses all their time for their own self. All their time for their things. Do you think God's going to find ways to maximize and free up their time? Are you following me here? Yeah. All right. So, certain kind of people get the seed. All right, so he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, God's just going to make sure you've got extra, you've got something in your hand, something at your disposal if you're a sower. Notice that it doesn't say, uh, you know, one who has lots of seed will be a sower. 
doesn't say that. It says, you know, if you're a sower, the heart comes first. It doesn't matter the, the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter the size of, you know, if you look around, well, what I have. That isn't what determines whether you're a sower. Your heart does. And, and you can have nothing but the shirt on your back and still be a giver, still be a sower. All right, so God will supply the sower with seed, the sower's seed will be multiplied, and the sower, sower's harvest is increased. So how many sowers do we have in here? I'm, I think I'm looking at a room full of them. Amen? All right, well, let's take a hold of our tithes and our offerings, and let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to you. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. Lord, I ask for increased understanding, increased revelation on the law of sowing and reaping, on how the kingdom of God operates. Father, I ask you to do according to your word that the sower's seed is multiplied in this house, that their harvest is increased. And Father, to every sower in this house, Father, I ask you to make sure they have something to sow, that their seed is available. And as they sow, you increase them. We just thank you that the needs are met in this house. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets.